0: you have soul. If so, the most minimal working podcast in show business is looking for your listenership. Welcome to episode 98 of Love That Album. Morris is joined by Will Smith of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema to discuss their mutual love of soul music. Regardless of the lyrics to a song, Soul music is often about sex, love, politics, or the love of sexual politics. Great soul music is about the band as a whole. A great rhythm section holds down a groove, a tight horn section can bring on the funk, and a singer can bring about a level of sexual frenzy rock singers can only envy. Together, a great soul band brings about something raw that can touch your emotions like little else. Will and Morris have selected three albums each, that's six albums folks to pontificate on and recommend for you to search out and listen to, dance to, or get friendly with, your choice. These albums span the history of the style, but all are musically honest. So, get ready for LTA 98, aka The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Soul.
3: all listen to episode 98 98 I tell you it's getting closer to 100 I don't know what I'm going to do well yes actually I do but I'm going to get to that later on episode 98 of love that album podcast my name is Morris I'm recording in Melbourne Australia thank you very much for your time thank you very much for downloading the show I'm immensely grateful and I'm also very immensely grateful because I have on the other end of my Skype connection a man who is a gentleman and I know this because his podcast is called the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and this is (laughs) true in advertising i have for only the second time in the five-year history of this program i don't know what is going on there but i have for the second time mr will smith of the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema welcome will
4: morrison you said that i almost fell out of my office chair i can't (laughs) believe that and you know they say time flies it certainly does and i would have loved to have been on much more frequently i would love to have you on our show much more frequently but um life i guess gets in the way of living
3: i think john lennon once famously said life is what happens while you're busy making other plans true that's a that's a philosophy i live by so look the last time that you were on it was i think in january of oh i can't remember it was 2014 2015 so 2 or 3 years ago We spoke about a couple of really wonderful albums, an album by a a local Toronto guy, Mac DeMarco, who, since we spoke, I think has been to Australia about two or three times and much to my shame, I haven't been to see him. And we spoke about the debut album from uh, Michael Kiwanuka, who is coming back to Australia in three months, and I am going to see him.
4: And Mr. Kiwanuka has a newer album out, and, and coincidentally, Mac DeMarco has a new album coming out.
3: Wow. Yeah, Mac DeMarco has certainly been a little bit more prolific, I think, since we spoke I think he's put out maybe about three new albums or something yeah. uh, Michael has only put out the, the one new album called Love and Hate have you had a chance to listen to it yet?
4: I've listened through maybe once or twice it was a different sound than his first album and it, it took me by surprise a little bit I think it's the kind of album that re- would reward multiple viewings um, or viewings I, I, I wouldn't get very far viewing it uh, <laughs> uh, by listening to it multiple times because I think that um, sometimes As with anything, whether it's relationships or any medium of art, expectations can kill things. So I think when you're expecting one thing, and I think as an artist, that's something that's very admirable. As we were talking about off the air, about actors like late, great Peter Falk, Mm. sometimes expectations color our perception. So I definitely want to go back and listen to Mr. Kumanuka's latest album a few more times.
3: It will definitely reward you with uh, multiple listenings. As I think we were speaking about on the previous episode that we did together, it sort of had a more Brian Wilson, Van Morrison type of vibe infused with his beautiful voice and his soul leanings and greater orchestrations. This this album sounds to me, and it's the sort of thing that would work very good as in between segment music on the GGTMC because a lot of the songs on this album sound like the sort of thing that you might hear in a maybe a, a less showy black exploitation film. The sort of thing you might hear in say um cross one hundred and tenth street. That the music would fit in very nice. well in that film, I imagine. So but anyway, That's yeah, it. looking immensely forward to seeing him in April this year. I don't know it'd be nice maybe if I could see if I could get an interview with him for the podcast. I'll look into that. And then I we can ask shoot. him we can ask him if he's a black exploitation film fan. We'll find out in due yeah. course. But anyway, what we are here to talk about is funnily enough it's sort of related to Michael Kiwinnick because we are going to be talking soul. We're going to be talking soul music tonight. And the original plan for this show was that I was going to make it another in my line of mystery box episodes. And I've just been sort of thinking over the last couple of days that the mystery box concept is dead. Long live something else. I don't know quite what I'm going to call it, but the whole... Purpose long live for- transparency. Long live transparent Long live transparency. Thank you. Um, yeah. As I was saying to you off air, Will, the whole mystery box Concept seems nice if you have thousands of listeners. I do not. And I like to be able to put the names of the artists that we're going to be talking about in the post. So people doing a search can find out, Oh, they're going to be discussing that album. Well, I better listen to this podcast. Yes, it is unashamed audience grab. I'm quite happy to admit that, but why not? And really, I think that. We've got some very interesting artists, but they're all like the Mystery Box episode concept. We're going to be talking about three albums each, a total of six. You've picked three albums, Well, I've picked three albums. We've listened to each other's choices, and we're going to be just sort of gas-bagging for a few minutes about each of these albums, what we liked about them, maybe what we didn't like about them, and why ultimately, though we think they might be worth you, the listener, might might be worth your time. One thing that's interesting is I've picked all women singers, and you've picked all male singers. So um, I noted that as well. I thought that was interesting. Mm, mm. So uh, what we'll do, we'll go to a quick break. Oh, actually, before we go to the break, no, I know what I'll do. If you're a regular listener to this show, you'll know that I have a short segment every uh, episode as hosted by uh, Mr. Eric Reanimator, who also, the Love That Album franchise, he's also got his own series of Love That Album shows called Love That Album, the compilation series, where he talks every program about a great compilation album or a couple of great compilation albums. And what he does, though, in the the Mothership episodes is he'll take 10 minutes just to talk about an album that he really digs that may be related to the theme of the main show. And I said to Eric, look, I know you're not necessarily a big soul fan, but can you come up with something that you like that's soul-related? And he said, okay, I've got something. And so what we're going to do now is go to Eric's segment. He's going to be talking about a compilation from uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. It's a really great pick. Let's see what you think. And uh, after that Eric's spoken to you. We'll be talking about some albums that we want to recommend to you. You're listening to Love That Album with Morris here in Melbourne and Will over in Toronto.
1: Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want you. I want you to keep Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
3: Hallelujah. Now it's time for An Album I Love with Eric Reanimator.
1: La-dee-dee A-one-two-three uh, Eric the- RE-ANIMATED
5: Album listeners, This is Eric. I am back for another year. This is 2017. It's January. And I know that Morris and Will are going to be talking about some soul music, so I figured I would do something similar, I'm talking about Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels. And I know this is not a compilation edition album, however, probably the best way to get a good grasp on Mitch Ryder is to pick up a solid comp. And the one that I have is called Rev Up the best of mitch rider detroit wheels this was put out by rhino records back in 89 and i picked this up probably when i lived in minneapolis it was one of those records that you know i had to uh, pick up because i was kind of exploring more and more of the music from the area i grew up in southeast michigan and mitch rider was one of those guys like bob Seeger whose back catalog i really had not explored So a lot of this stuff is not originals. There's a lot of covers, a lot of classic, what I guess you would call R&B back in the day. Standard stuff that was given the high-energy gospel-shouting treatment. should be noted that a lot of the bands we talk about from the Detroit area in the 60s, the Stooges, the MC5, the Rationals, definitely had a soul or blues background to them. They were all trying to be Otis Redding or... Muddy Waters are one of those guys, that's for sure. And Mitch Ryder was definitely part of that group. Definitely first heard the classic track of his "Devil with the Blue Dress On," which is what we're listening to now on an episode of Moonlighting. But it really took picking up this compilation for me to hear more of what Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels had to offer. Stuff like this. Probably what I like about Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels is what I like about the animals. They got a little bit of grit. Sure, they got the horns, and they got the backup singers, and the hand claps. But there's that little bit of grit, that little bit of blues, that little bit of everything isn't quite okay. So I'm going to go ahead and leave off here with the Mitch Ryder track that is referenced in the movie High Fidelity. It's been Eric Randomator, and I'll catch you guys all next time.
6: Go let's the-
0: I hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com groups lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. Thanks very much,
3: Eric, for another great segment for the Love That Album program. And Eric will be back next month for his An Album I Love segment as well as the Love That Album compilation edition. But meanwhile, here you're listening to Love That Album, episode 98, Morris here in Melbourne, Will over in Toronto. And I asked Will to join me because I noted from quite a number of his posts on the Feed My Ears group, or on his own Facebook page, that he is a big fan of soul music. And what rational thinking? Music fan isn't. I got to ask that question. So, Will, we're going to do this each segment. You'll speak about an album, I'll speak about an album. Let's start off with one of your picks. What would you like to talk about first? Yeah,
4: absolutely. And I do want to say, just to back things up a little bit, it was a fun and daunting task to pick three albums because, I mean, there's so many. The possibilities are endless. Initially, I know, much to your chagrin, I did not pick Michael Bolton's Soul Provider album. <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe maybe when i invite you back maybe when i invite yes you back.
4: And, and then uh, at which point morris said how can we be lovers if we can't be friends so, uh, <laughs> but uh yeah you know it's funny i want to pull back the curtain as far as my selections go morris because i had really tossed what am i going to pick that about picking kashif's self-titled album which i'm a huge fan of but i and then i thought about uh, evelyn champagne king who's maybe 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 my favorite female vocalist Mandre, nice. Dexter Wenzel you know kind of cosmic uh, funk and synth and although but I thought they weren't pure soul albums and I know your disdain at least what I believe to be your disdain <laughs> for anything disco tinged.
3: Oh um, look! I can be, I can be convinced. I can be. I mean, there's actually a song on one of your albums that has a bit of a disco tinge. So you know, that was yes. okay. That was okay. Yes. And, and, but I and, think really, and really, what male cannot say that they don't have a thing for Donna Summer? At least in, in her heyday. So, really. Absolutely. Love, love to love you, baby.
4: Yes, oh but, and it was one of those things, I'm much more fond of the disco sound, but I kind of wrestled with all that and the Barkay's albums. Uh, Anyway, so I kind of went back and forth on that until I settled on what I felt were three soul albums. One album, my thinking behind my picking was I wanted to pick someone local, someone more contemporary, and I also, at least someone contemporary and someone local and anything else in between that uh, I wanted to choose. And the first artist that I, I was just, written in stone that i wanted to pick was uh, jackie shane jackie shane is a singer who was born i believe in tennessee certainly american found much of his success north of the border here in toronto and i had heard about jackie shane only within the past six or seven years Um, my mother and i were conversing one night she was staying at our house at the time and she had said to me about jackie shane and just talking about soul music and i'd you know, talking about where my influences and tasted came from because as much as my parents are both um, obviously fans of music, I think you have to be a robot not to be a fan of some music, I was just observing how a lot of the stuff they loved, like my mom was really into James Brown and stuff like that, but it wasn't an overt thing where they put on an album and talked to me about it. I just kind of observed through what they listened to. Um, but she told me about Jackie Shane and she put on, a, I put on something on YouTube, The Wonders of Technology and and I was completely blown away. It's, it's one of those things I remember the first time I heard Jackie Shane. Just completely floored me. And I didn't know how I'd never heard of uh, this artist. Jackie Shane was an openly gay, sort of cross-dressing, flamboyant soul singer that worked a lot up here in Toronto, Frank Motley and the Hitchhikers, who were the backing band on the album. I'm going to be very excited to hear what you thought about. Um, it's Jackie Shane's Jackie Shane Live uh, from the Caravan label.
7: Yours truly, Frank lit It's just about that time for the star of our review, ladies and gentlemen Little Jackie Shane, what do you say, Little Jackie Shane?
8: Thank you, thank you so much Thank you we hope you are enjoying yourselves, and just to get things underway once more, want to do a little thing called high heel sneakers.
9: When
8: <laughs> I Mm-hmm.
4: So let I'd be, I'm dying to hear what you thought about uh, Mr.
3: Shane Well, it's quite fortuitous in a way Maybe fortuitous isn't necessarily the word But the album sort of stylistically matches up very closely with one of my choices Which, uh, you know, I'll reveal the curtain right now We'll probably talk about it straight after this one And that is Edda James Rocks the House both albums, well, they're both live albums, but they're both live albums recorded in a nightclub. I mean, I guess, you know, here in the 21st century, you know, we're so used to hearing live albums recorded very rarely in an intimate sort of venue. I mean, certainly any of the bigger artists who we've listened to, the you know, the old classic artists like, you know, The Who or well, anyone else who I can't think of at the moment, even though I've heard thousands of live albums, any of the bigger artists we've heard recorded in front of thousands and thousands of people, you know, a Occasionally, you might get something that's recorded in front of an intimate audience, but it'll usually be something that's acoustic and just very personal— one voice, one guitar. Really, these two albums were recorded in a nightclub venue with absolutely cooking bands. So the band that's playing there was a uh, Frank Motley and the Hitchhikers. So I was listening to a Canadian radio special. I think is it CBS? Is it, have I got that right? It's CBC? CBC. Yes. CBC, CBC radio special that had been put up on SoundCloud it was a documentary about Jackie Shane and they said that in fact Frank Motley and the Hitchhikers were a band already in their own right and Jackie Shane was hired by Frank Motley to just be the singer of their band and Frank was obviously smart enough to know wow this guy's something special we're happy to advertise things in his name But essentially, he was hired to be part of that band. It was an interesting combination. The band was so exciting and really, really, really tight. And just listening to Jackie's voice at a time that I imagine it was very difficult to, you know, be an outwardly gay man. And his voice is... I don't know. Would you say it's effeminate? It's not necessarily effeminate. Maybe that's not the word I'm looking for. But he certainly had power. And like the the person who he's compared to from a looks perspective is Little Richard. He doesn't quite sing yeah. like Little Richard. He has some of Little Richard's flamboyance, but he doesn't quite have that sort of tear him to shreds type of quality that Little Richard's voice does. Like Eddie James rocks the house. And we'll uh, we'll speak more about that when we get to that. I guess this is an album of nearly all covers. So yes, yeah, you
4: know, ex- except for. Actually, I think maybe maybe all of them are, or at least have been written. I mean, there's some pretty famous uh, covers on there. You know, mm. Don't Play That Song, Covers Got a Brand New Bag, Money, Knock on
3: Wood. Mm. Some of these have been covered multiple times by multiple singers. He's giving his take on it. But what really makes the album, I think, so exciting, I love the fact that it is, played, it is performed in a nightclub. And you yep. get some of that audience vibe there. So the opening track is called Dual Trumpet Bounce. And they mentioned in this documentary that Frank Motley was known for playing two trumpets at once. And I can't remember if they said that he learned that off Dizzy Gillespie or he'd actually played at some stage with Dizzy Gillespie. That was part of his shtick to play two trumpets at once. And the night has this theme. So, you know, we have this dual trumpet bounce at the beginning and it's like, a, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. And here are the members of the band. And uh, we have the special extra talents of uh, King Herbert on tennis saxophone. And, and now here's the star of our night, Mr. Jackie Shane. And... Between every song, they replay that dual trumpet bounce theme. It's something different. I mean, it's like, it's a different time when the next song was being introduced. And I found that it was a bit of a history lesson. Because, you know, you listen to most live albums, or if you go to see a band, they barely acknowledge the audience. Or they may just go straight into the next song, or there might be a, How you doing tonight? This song is this. But... This is from a time where, you know, performing in a nightclub where the introduction, it was something special, you know, I think it's Jackie Shane acknowledging his audience that, I'm not here doing what I love if you're not there, so... The introductions, as well as the songs, have to be something special, and I found that something that really sets this album apart from a lot of other live albums, I mean, as well as you know, the music. It could have just easily been another album of soul covers, but he's an exciting performer, and just doing that little nightclub thing just made it a little bit more special to me.
4: Nice. Uh, you know, I always lament and th- that, that special you spoke about is a really wonderful companion piece to I think, anything you listen to, because sadly Jackie Shane's output is very, very, very slim. I lament that his body of work wasn't such that there was a few albums that were all original material, yeah, and he worked with you know a studio that really had a vision and, and could have harnessed, uh, I think, the power that, that he had as a vocalist, because I think he's got a real ferocity to his voice. Yeah, like you said, it, it's not there's an intensity of ferocity, he can turn it on real quick, you know, like some of the great ones that just, they can really turn it up uh, quickly and stop on a dime. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, even when I was listening back to this album, I was kind of of two minds, you know, partially lamenting that a lot of its covers you don't get to really hear Jackie do anything original but at the same time you know we get to hear some of his stuff but that piece you were referring to gives a lot of background because Jackie was a mystery in terms of what happens there was rumors that he had died violently somewhere again being an openly gay cross-dressing man black man at that it's kind of a double whammy so like in terms of cruelty he would have experienced yeah that piece is a good companion piece I think to this album and Um, It is always interesting when you get a vocalist that you really like how they can turn a song into something fresh and original or just even a slight variation like um, listening to Ray Charles do Ring of Fire. It's a wonderful example of cover done right or sometimes, you know, Otis Redding doing Satisfaction. Yes, right. I mean, when you get a real talent doing that stuff, it's uh, it's exciting to hear something through.
3: Completely really feel fresh to you. I think everything on this album really does sound very fresh to me. The radio documentary made out that he was a moderate success in Canada, at least you know, certainly in Toronto and Montreal. But he was basically managed by Frank Motley, and Frank sort of did it because he could recognise something in Jackie that was super special but frank's skills didn't really lie in management it wasn't like he tried to rip him off or he wasn't doing enough but he was a musician exactly he was a musician first and foremost and you know he i think he said in an interview that jackie had had someone who was a specialist manager he could have been as big or nearly as big as any of the established names that you know we hear from the atlantic label and from the Stax label Oh yeah, um, played on you know, radio all the time. You know, I'm just thinking it's it's a wonderful thing that you know that handful of singles, that clutch of singles, were released. And for all the problems that we get with technology nowadays, you know, people sort of swapping albums around rather than going out and buying them. But at least the music is there on YouTube for people to listen to. And here's one interesting thing that I found, like doing my little bit of research. You might find this interesting. As you were indicating, you know, there were rumors about his death, and to this day. No no one truly knows, I think one of the, one of his band members, I don't know if it was uh, Frank Motley himself or someone else in the band, had actually tracked him down to, I think it was to Tennessee mm-hmm. and spoke with him and they said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get together, we'll, uh, we'll catch up again in a couple of months and then this guy tried calling him again on the same number like about six months later. Jackie had disappeared, and the guy who answered the phone said, I don't know who you're talking about. No one of that name living here. So, you know, Jackie's decided to remain a mystery, and he's left music for, for Goody released that clutch of singles and that great live album. I think 1969 was the last time anyone had heard of him. The point I wanted to make out of this was in my research, Jackie Shane Live has been shortlisted by the Polaris Music Prize as a nominee for an all-time classic Canadian album. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Losing out to Joni Mitchell's Blue. And I I don't know, I have a problem with something like that. If you want to recognise a great album in your history... Why would you make it a competition? I mean, you know, Joni Mitchell's Blue is a fantastic album. They make no mistake about it. But why should they say, right, well, we've only got room for one classic Canadian album this year. If you want to say, right, we're going to make four or five albums we're going to nominate. And Blue is one of them. And Jackie, uh, Jackie, I keep saying McShane. I don't know what. Ian McShane, maybe. That's why. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I think if they want to nominate five albums and say, right, these are all considered classics. I mean, this is a fantastic album, and it should be made known to you know people in this day and age who may have you know forgotten that he existed or, or didn't even know that he existed because he's not played on golden oldies radio certainly not here and I doubt even over in Canada
4: no and it's too bad like I said that that's the case and it was unfortunately yeah, the, the recognition wasn't there five albums I think by five artists would have given I think a more well rounded look at the sounds of Canada mm-hmm. um, but you know I guess what can you do I think at least he was shortlisted which is mm-hmm. something I will say Jackie's uh, output is on Spotify here. Okay. Or you can also go to YouTube. I would just say, you know, the live, I kind of was a bit disappointed that the live version of Any Other Way, the tempo is slower than the recorded version, and I like the recorded version better.
3: You mentioned to me by PM, I think. Yeah, I had to listen to that. Yeah.
4: Yeah, um, but people just go listen to that song, if nothing else, In My Tenement, maybe, Walking the Dog. I mean, there's a handful of songs that are just really great numbers. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the album. Like I said, I I listened back to it the other day and thought, you know, it's it's too bad that Jackie didn't uh, have, you know, a visionary kind of uh, producer or someone that that could really have, have helped push him. Because for my money, I'll just close by saying this about Jackie Shane. I listen to a lot of soul music. I'm not an expert, but I do love soul music. And Jackie, for me, is like one of the top maybe five to ten voices in soul music that i've ever heard it just wow it grabs me it's very ferocious you can feel the hurt and there's a swagger to it it's i love
3: jackie's voice no look i i think that's a i think that's a big call but i think it's also it's a really good call there are a lot of soul singers out there and a lot who are on small record labels and they're a ton of fantastic anthologies with singers who were like local sensations maybe in one particular state of the US or indeed I imagine in any of the provinces of Canada someone who was like a local hero so there there are thousands to choose from but you can make a really good case that jackie shane is as good as anyone who uh, who did make it and i'd be interested to know whether any of the established singers of the day you know any of the atlantic soul singers or anyone on Stax label or any of the great philadelphia singers whether any of these people actually knew of jackie shane and had been influenced. I'd be surprised if there wasn't someone out there who made it big that didn't say, I tip my hat to him because. Yeah. yeah, yeah had they had them. like a
4: 45 they heard or some something. You know, I think the problem with Motown, as much as I love Motown at the time, was Motown was so buttoned down and they didn't want to take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. So I think that having a very flamboyant, wild cross-dressing, openly gay singer, <laughs> might not have flown too well with Barry uh, and company at the time. And not so much because personally he wouldn't approve of them, but because it was difficult for black musicians to get the, the, the radio play at the time, I think he was trying to minimize any controversy and keep it focused on the music and the Motown sound.
3: I think really in terms of the, the two big ones, and of course, you know, this is acknowledging that there are a ton of other soul labels, but out of the two big ones that everyone knows, I would have seen Jackie Shane Had he had good management He would have been an Atlantic or a Stax Rather than Motown any day
4: For sure, Mm -hmm. yeah for sure man But only because of the proximity to Canada With
3: sure Detroit Detroit, Detroit I'm going
8: to enjoy the chicken The women and everything else that I want to enjoy That's how I live That's why I'm so happy All the time I'm taking care of business you know, I don't have my woman telling me, Jackie, you can't do this. You better sit down somewhere if you want me to stay with you. You better go out and go out and go on and make the money and bring it on home so we can enjoy ourselves. You know, I don't need no woman to help me starve. I got to have some money, you know, because I want to look good a long time.
3: See, All right, about let's um, move on to my first pick. And as I've already gone and said, you know, it seems like a good set to also talk about mm-hmm. Eddie James Rocks the House from 1963, I think this came out. Mm-hmm. just final connection we need to make between this and the Jackie Shane album is that Jackie Shane according to uh, my research had worked as a support act he, he'd been on the same bill as Etta James I'd be fascinated to know whether he was on the bill on the same night as uh, this album Etta James Rocks the House was recorded maybe not but I, I just like seeing connections like that
4: it's funny I was going to mention that if you didn't I thought that was was delicious to hear that yeah Jackie had opened for Etta yeah I think he sort of part of a tour there was there was some connection there and I thought it was fitting because I think two kindred spirits certainly it's very interesting mm.
3: Edna James is I think an interesting case here this album is a really interesting one in her collection since 1959 she'd recorded for a Chess Records subsidiary now Chess Records is more known as a blues label but they did have a clutch of really great soul artists on their label I mean I guess a case could be made that this is something more of a blues album but I'm gonna go with the fact that this is maybe a blues soul crossover so since 1959 she'd recorded for Argo as I said which is a chess record subsidiary and Etta had I guess like a lot of musicians a lot of singers had had you know something of a troubled childhood and singing was like her one refuge the one thing that she really loved and she just really pushed herself on I don't know when the first time you heard Etta was well I'll, I'll ask you that in a second but I just want to say that back in the early 90s one of my favorite go-to programs was northern exposure and to this day I, is that a show you ever watched
4: um i watched a few episodes uh, i think when it came out i was probably i'm guessing 9 10 so i mean it was a ah, little okay. beyond what i would have been into but i certainly do recall seeing a few
3: episodes of it absolutely. right well i was um, considerably older uh, but uh, 12 or 13 <laughs> yeah yeah that's it that's it 12 for 13 uh, no it, it was it was a show I was absolutely mad about just love the characterization great gentle tales and like some of the HBO shows that came years later it always had a killer soundtrack always had fantastic songs you know great soul great country some Zydeco and that was where I first heard the song that Ella James is probably the most known for and that is At Last. At last
6: My love has come along
2: My lonely days are over
6: And life is like a song
3: Really beautiful song with string section and it's the sort of thing that you thought might have gotten played on what we call down here beautiful music radio. But the only thing where you realise that, no, this is genuine soul, is you had this voice that was like razor blades it could absolutely it cut like a knife she had this voice that could just slay you absolutely could kill you and really there was a bunch of songs that there were some sweet gentle orchestral soul numbers it wasn't until later when I did songs like I'd rather go blind where they got rid of the orchestra a bit and worked a bit more with a, a real soul band. Actually, one interesting thing that I discovered I didn't realize was that at last wasn't like a song that was meant originally for Ella James it was originally a song played I believe by the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Look before I sort of go talking about the album and asking you what you thought about the album, I want to know. So, where do you recall first hearing Eddie James?
4: That's a good question. You know, I don't, I was trying to think about that as you were talking about it. I want to say it was maybe around 16 years ago. I was probably 19 or 20, and at the time my life was slowing down a bit from sort of the wild, sort of all nighters, and I was just starting to look more into the arts that I loved, film and music and just digging a little bit deeper. And I can't even recall now a specific moment when I'd first heard, it was at last. Mm. Not to, you know, I can't I have a
3: cool pick for this, but. Um, <laughs> there's there's y- nothing, nothing wrong with saying that's, <laughs> that that's a song because it's a song that everyone, oh. uh, and it was used in, I think Universal owned the rights to it and they just played it every chance they could in a film somewhere. So, it's a- but it's such a great song. So nothing shameful about that. It was
4: one of our, it was the final song. My wife and I played at our wedding.
3: I mean, I'm sure there's there's
4: millions of, (laughs) literally probably millions of weddings over time that have had that. But the first night my wife and I went on a date, I played her some Sam Cooke and some Otis Redding and some Etta James. And I think the first time I kissed my wife was at last. So... Oh um, man! There's, 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 but but that's the kind of music it is. I mean, like you said, Etta James had, had the power to, I mean, just tear you to shreds, to rip your heart out, um, to do so much musically, and she was all-time great vocalist, absolutely up there. And but the, and I, I just bought this album for my wife for Christmas on vinyl. So, <laughs> um, but I don't know the specifically the first time I'd heard it, but it's, it's always going to be with me throughout my life uh, and my wife's life and my kids lives as a result and um, we can't be anywhere and this doesn't come on and us not kind of each other and squeeze her hand a bit tighter and oh, nice. give her a quick kiss and your choice was so fascinating to me because again w- admittedly um with Edda, I had been more familiar with her kind of quote-unquote classier kind of more heavily arranged stuff a little quieter but it was almost like you know there was a ferocity there that because she didn't always get to unleash it uh, this album it's certainly the it's it's on the tin uh, as they say across the atlantic she does rock the house i mean she really blows the roof off and it's a wonderful thing to hear and even if you look at the the album cover and this is just such minutiae but i wanted to point it out sort of a sign of the times versus today everything's so carefully manicured nowadays and I think unless I've looked at it incorrectly on the album cover she's wearing a tensor bandage on her one hand oh. and nowadays they, they would have photoshopped that out
3: Oh, I'm looking at that right now. I, you know what? You, you're so observant. I never paid attention to that. She is indeed. Yeah,
4: and two of the photos, the one on the left and the center photo. Yep. I'm just, She's got the, uh, the... But I think that's a great cover because I think it, it embodies, I think, what she is. And I don't, again, I don't claim to be an expert but what I know of her. And I think what this album is, is it's kind of her pointing at you, challenging the audience to keep up with her. And, and she really gets things whipped into a frenzy on this album and, and to bring it back to Otis Redding for a moment I think one of the other so you can be a great singer um, but that doesn't mean you're a great performer you can be a great performer but that doesn't necessarily mean and a great singer but that doesn't mean you can whip a crowd up into a frenzy and what is it the is it the Monterey Pop Festival I mm-hmm. think where Otis performed live that's right that's
3: yes it was yes
4: and this album kind of maybe not quite with with such a large crowd obviously but you could feel her really just whipping the crowd up into a frenzy and the interplay with the crowd was incredible for me to hear uh and to hear her finally just untethered and to really just go at it i thought was something i mean the, the the raw energy that she brings to the table is really palpable and it's uh you know you get the crowd whistling and she's got them going and and I think too one of the other things I've always I like about Etta James and what I love with my female vocalist and what, it's one of the things I found most charming about um, the late great Amy Winehouse is this the sort of salty cheeky charm that uh, Etta has It's
3: yes. kind of on display in this album. Yes, that saltiness, as uh, as you put it, really it does come from the fact that she's in her church, as it were. You know, she's whipping the crowd up as if she was like a pastor on a Sunday morning, except. <laughs> yes except these songs are probably not going to get played in church. You know, when she's singing you know, like the, the great Jimmy Reed song, Baby What You Want Me To Do, there's a lot of lust in that. And that's really what great soul music is often about. It's about lust. You know, she'd already gone and exhibited the romance in a song like At Last. There's one song, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like Left Me Crying at the Church or something like that, which is really, really cheesy. But this is her being earthy. This is her being honest. She does a cover version of Ray Charles' What I Say. Anyone who thinks that Ray Charles is the last word in that song, I urge you to listen to what Edda does whenever she's doing the Say Yeah and doing that whole bit and just she's whipping that crowd up as much as Ray ever did. She does another wonderful song. The house songwriter, the house musical director at Chess Records was a bass player called Willie Dixon. And even if you think you don't know that name, you sure as hell know a bunch of his songs. A bunch of his songs were covered by the likes of The Doors. They did Backdoor Man. uh, She does on this album, I Just Want to Make Love to You, which everyone has covered. Look up the name Willie Dixon. You know a ton of his songs because he's more known as as a songwriter. He wrote Little Red Rooster. So, oh yeah, wow, you know Willie Dixon, but he was house songwriter and musical director at uh, Chess Records. And she's doing his. Um, I just want to make love to you. Unfortunately, he's not on this album. He's not playing in this band, but his presence is felt. Just really for me, no one sings like Etta did. I wouldn't want to see a sing-off between Tina Turner and Etta James. And uh, the, and the, the, the house had collapsed Yeah. yeah. Out of way. I imagine if I don't know if it was Etta that proposed, I'd like to record a live album of what I do in in that context, or whether Leonard Chess saw, you know, maybe there was an audience for this, and he said, "Look, go off and do it," and he'd realise that he'd been holding her back. So if just basically, if you think that you know Etta James from those really great studio recordings then check out at a James Rocks the house because it'll blow your mind it's something completely different to what you may know her from in the, the studio context oh precisely
4: mm-hmm. precisely I think to, she, you know, she must have felt let me assume with someone who's as raw uh, as she is must have felt very penned in with some of that stuff like you said maybe not saccharine but maybe she even felt this, felt that because of what she'd been done in terms of directed in terms of her output so um, this must have been a nice uh, time to kind of get off the to get outside
3: the box and just run with it and she runs with it absolutely and i'm trying to recall where it was that this actually got recorded oh sorry yeah this is recorded in nashville not a very nashville sounding album but uh (laughs) but never mind search this out i mean i've had the cd for many many years nowadays you know with cds being less of an easily obtained commodity i don't know how easily available it is but if you prefer to do things in the Spotify Camp. I'm sure it's available there. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, available on Chess Records. Uh, search it out. You might find it in your hand CD store, easily available. Etta James Rockster House. All right, so we've currently gone through one album each, two albums more each to go through. So at this stage, we'll have a quick break and come back and then uh, we'll go through our second choices, respectively. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 98, with Morris here in Melbourne and Will in Toronto. We'll be back shortly.
1: GTMc Live for you, fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bringing class to the trash since
3: 1977. And we're back from break. Morris here. Will over there. We're talking a little bit of soul. And uh, we're doing all these in short form. We're enjoying ourselves. And hopefully we're convincing you listeners out there that these are albums worth checking out if you haven't already done so. Or uh, worth a new listen if you are familiar with them. So, uh, Will, I will ask you to uh, reveal your second choice, please.
4: Yeah, my second choice was the one that, no disrespect to the artist, certainly, but I kind of, again, I kind of wanted to maybe go with artists that people, I I felt like, didn't quite get the acclaim they deserved. And this artist was newer to me. I'd only heard about him in the past couple of years. Coincidentally, through Spotify, which I know some purists don't like sort of digital music or digital film, but I think we live in a golden age where we can educate ourselves as much as our heart's content, as much as our heart desires. And Spotify does a great thing where every week it gives you a discovery playlist where based on what you've been listening to the week prior, it curates a playlist for you about two hours long, which is great because it's allowed me to discover so many artists. One of those artists was the, the person I wanted to mention, Durando.
7: Hey, that sexy
10: mama Baby, what's your name? Hey, that
2: sexy mama Girl, I want to know
7: Tips the fight
10: Girl, I wanna hold you You look so fine Love your sexy mom
4: Uh who is a barrier soul singer in the 70s, didn't quite hit it big, found success later in life through people discovering his catalog, you know, because of the wonders of technology. And, you know, it's sort of similar to, I guess, uh, Charles Bradley, these older singers who just sort of obscure, they, they sort of languished in obscurity for so long and then a new generation discovered the music and thought, how are these guys not more famous Um, but like you'd said there's so many labels so many small labels and so many singers that filled those labels that never quite um, hit a big so Durando came to my attention that way and you know we got a bit of a different sound um, but I quite enjoyed it maybe not diverse vocally like some soul singers but I think I don't want to certainly strip him down uh, to say One Trick Pony, but if he, you do want to say Durano's One Trick Pony vocally, I do like that one trick quite a bit. Hmm. So let's, uh, let's see what you think about this. I was curious because I, I thought this might be of the three albums your least favorite.
3: Uh, look, you know what? I don't think I sort of categorized anything as most favorite to least favorite. I really enjoyed all of these albums. I will say that your final choice was probably my most favorite because it was something completely different but we'll come to that. no I really really dug this and yes I can sort of see that it is the songs on this album which is so the name is uh, The Music City Sessions Listen to My Song by Derondo. I did a little bit of reading up about him so he's a pretty unusual cat. He was uh, <laughs> he, so from San Francisco Berkeley area and one thing I didn't pick from the music but apparently, he took inspiration, like he was a guitar player, and it said he took his inspiration from uh, the great jazz players, Kenny Burrell and Wes Montgomery. I don't know how familiar you are with their work, but I can tell you I picked nothing of their style in Durando's <laughs> own guitar playing. But, you know, if he says uh, those guys, you know, influenced me to pick up a guitar, okay, fair enough. But musically, there's nothing in what they do in, in what he does. The sessions from this album come from from 1973 but this album didn't actually get a release i believe until 2011 that's Uh, insane he claimed that music was just a hobby and he left the industry after releasing just he had one hit the song didn't i which is on this album He claimed that radio DJs played the song thinking it was a new song by Al Green. And I can see
4: that. He sounds a little green.
3: He sounds very Al Green, and it's all the yeah. way through the album. I, I'm sort of wondering if that wasn't intentional. It's one thing to sort of say that, yeah, there are similar vocal mannerisms, but I don't know if he's of like going for, I'm going to do the Al Green thing here. It, it sounds a little too coincidental, but um, sure, yeah. the album, there's mixtures here. Yes, yeah, certainly there's, there's some of the Al Green thing going on. There's a little bit of the, the James Brown thing going Definitely. on. I just want to sort of talk a little bit about a couple of the songs in particular the songs in this sound and I mean this in a good way it sounds very underproduced yes sir. it doesn't have like the polish of you know say you know a James Brown or an Al Green record but you know it comes complete with it and you know some seriously you know, funky drums and bass and, and some you know, great sort of rhythmic funky guitar that uh, presumably uh, Durando himself is doing with songs like Get Up Off Your Funky Butt. <laughs> Song titles like that, will. Yeah, there should be more of
4: them. Um, I think it's nice to have an artist who doesn't take everything very seriously, and you can tell Durando does not.
3: No, well, but when he's claiming that this is just a hobby of his then he's doing it for the love of it I mean look he left the industry and according to what I read he became first a physical therapist and the last thing he did was uh, he was working as a speech pathologist believe that if you will can you imagine a guy singing, Ah get up off you funky <laughs> teaching someone to be a speech pathologist it's, it's really unusual the big hit was the song Didn't I coming back to Al Green even that song sort of reminds me it has the musical feel of let's stay together He's a gritty guy, you know, and he, there's that song, I'm Lonely. Four
7: o'clock in the morning, baby. I'm all alone. Waiting on a telephone call, baby. I, I, I want to moan. I, I know I can't call no doctor.
9: Doctor
7: can't cure my ill, I need a baby. Uh, to cure my ear. Uh, I'm
3: lonely, baby. You know that what he really wants to sing is I'm horny. And uh, yes. you know, it, it comes back to what we we're talking about. Soul music, good soul music is often about sex. And I read one description of him as being lascivious. And I think that is such a good word to describe what he was going for. And you know, I'm going to keep coming back to this. All the great soul music is about sex.
6: Soul is the rhythm of sex. And it's the rhythm of the factory too. The working man's rhythm. Sex in the factory.
3: I'd love it if you sort of you know tell me a bit more about your background with this album. Found, yeah, found
4: it on Spotify. The cover was brown. He's got a fur coat on. I think it's a very clear st- statement he's got some rings prominently displayed oh yeah so again he was trying to present again they say you know what you saw on the tin was what you got but i think one of the things i like and I also i should say in like a biography of edifice he was a real estate agent railroad electrician well-known tv talk show host i want to try to find some of his talk show host stuff and even an experienced chess player so it's one of these things much like not, not to put him musically in the same category as someone like, well, maybe Russ Meyer would be fitting because Russ Meyer wore hat.
1: <laughs> I'm Russ Meyer. I am a, uh an aficionado of the breast.
4: Robert Altman as well, you know, had done a lot of different things in his life uh, job-wise, but I'd heard it at the time, and I think one of the things I like about him, and one of the things I like about contemporary soul music, you got this certainly, like I was saying, with the Barquets and Parliament and Ohio Players and the Gap Band and SOS and stuff like that. I'm really interested in hearing sort of left-field soul and stuff that maybe falls a little bit outside the confines of what people come to expect and how we get cross-pollination sometimes with different genres and how people's influences factor in and this album's a little bit different to me like I said in the the arrangement and the production and stuff like you said it does feel very underproduced certainly in a good way it sort of gives it a a sort of raw immediacy Mm. you know there's maracas there's tambourine a little bluesy at times but I think that what you get is you get an artist who knows what he's doing there's a bit of a sly kind of charm to Durando and you know, Didn't I, which, you know, it was the single off the album, uh, or the single of his that hit it big, but the way it opens, it almost sounds like the Intruder's Cowboys to Girls song. don't like, it, It's a great song, well, growing yeah. up, you know, as a young boy, and, and discovering girls, and kind of looking back, nostalgia, but it's a bit more spare on this album, Didn't I, that is, than some of the other pieces. You talked about Get Off Your Butt, he has harmonica, which... I can't think of too many soul musicians other than maybe Ray Charles. I mean, certainly there's some that use the harmonica to great effect. I'm Lonely is Great, like you'd said. The Wolf is another piece on this album that I really like.
7: I think I want to wolf a little while. Uh want to tell you about an old man I know. He was cool, he was fast.
3: It
4: feels very cinematic to me. I quite like it, uh, Sexy Mama. I mean, there's so many great pieces on this album. Listen to my song is nice because that's sort of a dreamy, Euro-Woodsy feel. Uh, you know, talking about artists nowadays being influenced by artists back then, this that that is the piece that feels very Michael Kiwanuka to me. Listen to my song. Okay. Which does, yeah, just to see this character. And like you said, it's evident in the album that he very much is a character. And I think that's one of the things that charmed me most about it was, like I said, the age we're in is a lot of this undiscovered stuff we get to hear And this Bay Area man. You get to hear some of the Bay Area stuff because you can't help but have the city influence your music to some degree so i think yeah. that's one of the big things i took away my one critique of the album is it, it does sound a bit redundant at times and i do feel that, that but again the, i don't think it was meant to be released as one album versus no. all the stuff that it had recorded right so they wanted to just put it together so it is probably a bit long of an album at 16 tracks and you know that's probably my one gripe i would
3: say but Nonetheless, uh, I guess because you tend to get a lot of very obsessed music fans out there who probably come up and say well hang on why they only release like 10 songs when we know that there's another six or seven or eight in the archives you might as well put everything out and i guess if you're listening to the album as an album like as an art form unto itself then yes you it's got to be just the right amount of time rather than just a bunch of songs thrown together but essentially this was many years in the waiting and he just recorded these songs and they were just sort of sitting there, and someone decided in 2011 oh, let's put this whole kitten caboodle out. This wasn't supposed to be released as an album unto its own right. So, if you just sort of think about it, well, it's a great compilation album. I'm going to play the first seven or eight songs before I head out to work, or I'm going to listen to the first seven or eight songs on the on the bus to work, or something like that, and then listen to the rest later on. It it, it can be uh, it can work well in that respect. It is definitely a a good point that you make. I mean, like I I had a a four CD box set of James Brown called Star Time. And there were times where I sort of thought, yeah, this may be a little bit excessive. You know, 75 <laughs> minutes per CD of, yeah, or right, I, I, I get it, you're a sex machine.
10: Yay! Ha! Ha! Make it funky! Hit it! Get it!
3: But look, still, I think that this is a great album. I'd I'd be recommending to people to search it out. Derondo, D-A-R-O-N-D-O. Listen to my song, The Music City Sessions. It's actually out on a really great label called Omnivore Recordings, and they've been uh, responsible for some great archival-type releases out there. I think they're responsible for the re-release of beautiful packaging, beautiful re-releases of the Jellyfish albums from the early 90s. And Jellyfish is a long way from Derondo, but they certainly... Pay attention to their releases, some uh, great packaging, and some great music. So, uh, yeah, I'd urge you to uh, search that one out. That's Will's second choice, Dorondo. Listen to my song, The Music City Sessions. My second choice is an album that I'd actually wanted to discuss with you for a very long time. It was sort of going to be like a whole show in its own right. We sort of haven't been able to get together till now. So I thought, right, well, it's still something that we can include as part of this short form discussion. And the album is by 70s soul singer Millie Jackson. And the album is called Caught Up. She's hardly an obscure singer in the realm of soul music. Unfortunately, I think Millie Jackson's name is not often brought up in like the first tier of singers that one thinks of in regards to soul music. I don't know. I mean, I don't know over there well whether you know she's played on Golden Oldies Radio, but the one huge song that she's known for here is more known in Australia... For a different version the song is really the song that starts this album going called If Loving You Is Wrong I Don't Want To Be Right and in Australia it was a big hit in the 70s for a local singer Renee Geyer who does a great version of it but there's there's actually a bunch of other people out there who've gone and done cover versions of it there's a country singer who I know only by name but I don't really know her material called Barbara Mandrell who's done a cover of it apparently Rod Stewart did a cover of it and uh, Luther Ingram covered it at, uh, at nice. Stacks
4: you would send that you did not categorize the albums as sort of favorite, least favorite, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, but I, I will say without hesitation that this album was my absolute favorite and not to discredit the other two albums because they nice. were fantastic. This album blew me away. I really... Really love this album, and admittedly, you know, much like we talked about film on my show, you know, you can't see them all, so we can't know all the artists and know their their discographies um, front to back. I had a passing knowledge of Millie Jackson. I think in this day and age, she's more known. I tend to see Millie Jackson more online nowadays because of her (laughs)
3: cut. her ridiculous cover for back to the shit yes uh, absolutely i think (laughs) i I, stop me i think dr zom might have gone and posted that on a on a forum somewhere (laughs) if you're listening and it wasn't you i apologize but it's a very (laughs) zom-esque it's a very it's a very silver and gold album cover yes it yeah. certainly is. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. for, for those of you not in the know, the album Back to the Shit has a very tasteful cover of Millie Jackson sitting on the toilet with her underwear around her ankles. And But the thing was, we're also talking about a woman who had gone and written a song, a three, three four-minute song called the P-H-U-C, pronounced fuck, the Fuck You Symphony. So uh, we're talking about a you know, very, very classy... She had albums like Feeling Bitchy, back to the shit that you've already gone and mentioned, and Not For Church Folk. Truth in advertising, if nothing else, Will.
4: And lest we forget, (laughs) wearing a headband with a crystal ball in front of her, an album called ESP, which is extra sexual persuasion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So I I think Millie's a real character. And one of the things I like about Millie in hearing this album, which is evident, is I think she's a very confident woman and... She has a sense of humor and she has an independence and she's not going to allow social conventions or gender expectations or anything else dictate who or what she is or what she's going to present to her audience and I really love that about her.
3: Have you watched any of the live footage on YouTube? No, I have not. Uh, You've already gone and alluded to it there, but she really does have a, I don't give a shit. I mean, if those album covers hadn't already gone and alluded to it, but just find anything that she does on YouTube. You'll see like, these live performances, and she has a take-no-prisoners approach. She likes to talk a lot to the audience, which will come as no surprise. She has this I-don't-give-a-fuck attitude. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're either along with me for the ride, or you're not. Very, very confident woman.
8: I really couldn't give a shit, but...
4: This album blew me away. I don't know if you'd mentioned this. This is a concept album, right? I hadn't mentioned it, but yes, yes, this is a, a concept album. It's, uh, I think, caught up. Uh, it, you look at the album cover. It's uh, two women and a man caught up in a spider web, A spider web of love and intrigue and broken hearts. And what this album does over the course of its album is you hear from all the parties involved in a love triangle, a man unfaithful to his wife has a lover on the side there's even sort of like not skits but there's pieces that in the run-up to the vocal portions of the songs like the actual singing uh, where you hear characters talking encounters in the street and Mm. and so forth and this painted such an honest heartfelt look at infidelity how it impacts a family to look at it from the other woman's side, oftentimes the other woman is demonized in these situations as being a home wrecker. Sometimes that's the case, but that's not always the case. And I think Millie is, you know, maybe by nature a bit of a contrarian shows us that with this album and the way the album shifts gears for me from her confessing her love like you said of loving you is wrong and i gotta say the first thing that hits me with that is how much of an isaac hayes type arrangement it is yes
3: absolutely that's a great call absolutely it is
7: if loving you is wrong i don't want to be right if being right is to live without you i'd rather live a wrong doing life
4: Millie, I think, has the knack of being a storyteller, and much like a lot of the great country singers, like Willie Nelson. Her her words, her lyrics, paint a picture for you, allow you to really see what's unfolding, and it really, really worked for me. And vocally, I think what I took away from her is kind of like a when she especially when she really lets it all hang out is like a female Bobby Womack. Okay, that's kind of what I got from her. Um, she lays it on the line, and and I think with this song, I mean, you, I can, I can imagine her as that other woman. Rolling around on the bathroom floor in tears, and it doesn't feel shrieky, it just feels very honest. And then it's like she regains her composure when we get the rap, which is pretty amazing.
8: Because I found out that when a man starts tipping away from home, somebody at home has fallen down on the home front. That's because when these women marry these men, they have a tendency to take advantage of them. They forget about all the sweet things they say to get them, that they have to keep on saying them to keep them. Because you got a whole lot of women out there these days, just like me, who will tell a man anything in the world he feel like he might want to hear.
4: And it's just basically Millie talking about the realities of being the other woman. And when holidays roll around, she's alone. You know, she's not, Well, she says one of the upsides, and this shows Millie's sense of humor, and she says one of the upsides is I don't have to wash anyone's drawers but my own. <laughs> Yes So I really like that This album Like if I was gonna do Like a top 5 Or top 10 This would be in the top 5 Wow Uh, Favorite albums I've discovered this year Oh man Wow I'm I'm absolutely Glad to have put that onto you I really 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 loved it Um, Like I said It's You talk about soul music And you said a lot of times You know Soul music It's sex uh, but I also feel that, for me, a lot of the artists I really admire—it's like they really dig down deep, and you can really feel the emotion, whether it's lust, love, anger at social injustices. Oh,
3: sure! A lot of what soul music about in the '60s, I think, was a reaction to social injustice. Social so injustice. there's, there's, even if it's not overtly in the lyrics there's a lot of politics that's going on in 60s soul music you know pretty much i guess in a similar sort of way that politics is there in exploitation films where absolutely where the characters or the actors the filmmakers they're taking control they're not going to be the best friend of the action hero they're going to be the one that you know their audience is cheering for Well, did pam Greer ever sing because i tell you what she did she oh, did oh, oh man yeah. I'd love to see if she's got a soul out there because i'd i'd be on top of that i'd just be certain
4: i think it's i think it's high as a hard-headed woman i think she had a i i I don't know if it's um, i'm trying to remember if it was the big bird cage the big dollhouse or there's one her voice is much more kind of tender than you would think it would be but she was younger when she recorded and they put the song jack hill put the song one of the albums if memory serves but great call by the way in terms of what we would expect her to sound like but i and i know millie herself talking about this album i talked to call it like a soul opera and this is the kind of thing where if you look at like say a, a vinyl album and I'm not a purist. You and I have spoke about this. I'll listen to digital CD. I like the concept of having an album because it allows me to take something out and listen to an album start to finish versus kind of a sample platter of singles and mixtapes, which is cool too. Um, But I like my children to discover these albums and the cover art and... My children have put on Beach Boys albums, and they've put on all sorts of different soul albums. And I "Well, why did you pick that album? And they'll tell me why, and that's the same sort of way my music tastes were kind of cultivated. And Millie, and I didn't realize this until recently, with this album, side one is all the other woman. Right. Side two is the wife. I didn't know that was the line in the sand when you flip the album over
3: right I was going to make the point that yeah because yeah as we've spoken about I'm still very much a CD guy I love my records but you know I'm not gonna this is not gonna be the forum where I'm gonna debate sound quality of records versus CD Maybe. in terms of having the line in the sand as you say this really is the ideal album for a record or for that matter for a cassette you know something that you can turn yes. over right you've had one perspective okay turn it over you get the other perspective and the other thing that i like about this i mean the music is absolutely fantastic but Incredible. it's it's not judgmental we get no. the um because really you know from from our comfortable lives we sort of see right oh having an affair with someone it's morally wrong and you know if you're going to be with someone you be with them if you don't want to be with them quit and then move on but the character you, you listen even if you sort of think well that's not something I'd ever do but she's never an easy target her character is never someone who you sort of feel well you're a bit of a home wrecker you're a horrible person you don't think you're getting her side of the story and it's, it's never judgmental so what I should say is that, so that first side of songs she starts off with if loving you was wrong I don't want to be right so she's almost apologizing for it but she almost gets to feel more righteous as the side of music goes on. She thinks, you know what? Well, yes. Hang on. Wait a minute. You know, I've got just as much right to be with you as much yes. as your wife has. You know what? Well, in fact, I'm going to go confront her in the street. And that's yeah. the end of the, the last song at the end of side one. They have that confrontation. And then by the time they get to side two, that's how the wife has found out that the affair exists. And obviously she's incredibly hurt and just Melly does this. She could have been a great actress because she's gone. Oh, trade as you were saying before well while we're talking about the live albums that it's one thing you can be a great singer but not necessarily a great live performer but I also say you can have a great voice and you can convey the right notes but she's really conveying something about the characters here. We do have a story. It's a genuine... or they've gone and said it's a soul opera. It's a story. It's a film that's being told through music and we get her character. I would have loved to have seen if she did anything on film like in, in real film because she carries off her character so well here. She does it so brilliantly. Uh, this would make a great
4: stage production. I think it would really would make a great stage
3: production. <laughs> Two other things I want to make mention. We've been sort of raving on about what a great concept this is and how well Millie Jackson carries it off. The band here is yes, the yes. must the Great Muscle Shoals. I got to ask you, well, you I think you mentioned on the GGTMC that you've seen the Muscle Shoals documentary, right? I have, and I was going to mention
4: that uh, you were quicker to the punch than I. <laughs> uh, you full credit before we got off talking about this album full credit has to be given to the swampers because in true to form they kill it
3: they do absolutely i mean look like a lot of other people i'm a big fan of the great house bands like uh, booker t and the mgs and the marquees and you know the la's wrecking crew and the funk brothers out at motown and they all had their sound but it seemed like in a way that the muscle shoals Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe not so much when you think about the, how diverse the Wrecking Crew were, but really certainly comparing the Muscle Shoals band to Booker T and the MGs and the Funk Brothers out at Detroit and Motown. the The Muscle Shoals were so diverse and we tend to think of them in soul terms, but they did a lot of pop stuff. And they could sound like a ton of different bands. They weren't just stuck to the one sound. Sound, yeah. Uh, They were just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, out there, if you've not watched the Muscle Shoals documentary, make it a priority. It is such a good film. I'm so thrilled to say I got to see it at the cinema, and it just absolutely blew me away. The sequence where they told the story about Dwayne Allman suggesting to Wilson Pickett that he needed to do a cover of Hey Jude almost had me in tears, you know, just so fantastic fantastic but we digress one of the highlight songs for me on the album is the conclusion and this is oh my
4: god yes you're gonna make c- me cry man the c-
8: was a hot afternoon the last day of june the sun was a demon the clouds were afraid 110 in the shade and the pavement was steamened I told Ellen May in a red Chevrolet I needed some time for thinking I was just passing by when I caught your little eye and I swore it was Wayne.
3: I'd actually heard. Version, I mean, this song was written by a guy called Bobby Goldsboro, and yes, great artist. Well, it, when you listen to the Bobby Goldsboro' original, it's almost creepy because when you hear, you know, from the perspective of he's the 31 year old man who's made it with a 17 year old girl, it's.
4: It's a little bit creepy. A little bit, yeah. Just different times, <laughs> but not sadly. Wait, that sounded wrong. A different time, unfortunately, and it doesn't translate well. It doesn't. No, but, Or should it? But looking at context, but listen,
3: but listening to Millie Jackson doing it as the woman who got caught up, it really comes out sounding different. You're getting her side of the song, and she had a genuine love. her husband and she goes on the second side of the album going from being really furious and really angry at him and justifiably so to saying look you know what hang on we gotta split but I don't wanna be angry and then the final song of the album is we can't be together but let's just recall what made our life together so wonderful to start off with anyway and that's where this song summer the first time and it is just gorgeous the first time i heard it was in i think one of the first concert films i ever saw which was the bet midler film divine madness came out i don't know 78 79 like she would already become well-known in the cinema for The Rose which I still think is a wonderful film and shows you she had great acting chops before you know she sort of went off the rails with beaches and all that sort of stuff but The Rose is a great film and Divine Madness her concert film is fantastic and she does a version of that song in the film it's it's great but just hearing it years later with the Millie Jackson version it's just she owns it she absolutely owns it and it you, you said it made you cry And that's exactly the same effect that it has on me. I mean, it's a song, but it's a great piece of cinema. It's a great film. It's a great story. And you've gone from start to finish. I just absolutely adore that. It should probably also be noted that when I bought the CD of this, it came as like two albums on the one CD and the second album was Still Quarter, which was a sequel to the original one. And in this case, you have the wife on the first side and the mistress on the second side. You think that the story's over, but it's not really really quite over so like in the the, and still caught up the story is basically the husband and the wife sort of they're dancing around each other and coming to the idea of maybe giving it another try but the mistress is thinking hang on i've not had enough you 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 can get rid of me that easy and by did you did you listen to the still caught up to the sequel
4: i listened a little bit but based on what you'd said before i listened i didn't have the time right to go all the way in because you weren't overly fond of it from what (laughs) Look,
3: look I don't I don't mind it but I sort of saw that apart from maybe trying to cash in on the success of the first one i didn't feel that artistically there was a reason for the second one there's some great songs on it but like by the end of it there's a a song called i still love you you still love me you know the the mistress she's lost her mind and you hear her being taken away by men in white coats in an ambulance and she's going Put your arms right in here. We're not gonna
10: hurt you.
8: Don't come near me. Nurse. Take your hands off of me.
6: Nurse, will you please help me? Let go of me! Miss Jackson,
3: please. And it's, oh, it's just boy. a little bit stupid, a little bit ridiculous. And it's sort of taken away from... Cheapens things a little bit. It, it, it does. So really out there, I mean, look, if, if the only way you can get the album is to get it as a twofer, that's fine. And even maybe give the second album a listen and see what you think. But the first album caught up is absolutely essential. And I'm thrilled that not only did you like <laughs> it, but that you've said that it's now one of your most favorite soul albums.
4: I loved it so much. It sucked me right in. I. It's almost like that when you listen to a great album, everything else stops around you, and you are so immersed in the album, and everything's so vivid in terms of what the singer is doing and, and singing about. It paints such a beautiful picture, and ah, this is such a beautifully realized project. And like you said, Summer, the first time. Man, I get a lump in my throat just mentioning that song because you think about, and I think this, it's obvious statement, but the tragedy of uh, love ending and looking back at at the good times and, you know, Marvin Gaye does some of that stuff great. Um, Mm, mm. Just to keep you satisfied, which unbelievably sad song to me. He he says at the end, God knows we tried. Just really heartbreaking stuff, but this album is, yeah, superb, beautifully realized, but yeah, just to keep you satisfied is the other one for me, that those two songs just crushed me to hear them.
3: Alright, so... We're going to go to one final break and then uh, we'll wrap things up with one more album each to uh, recommend for your ear holes. So uh, you're listening to love that album. Thanks very much for being a part of it. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Hey, this is
10: Scott of Married With Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to
4: Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year?
6: For that film?
4: For that film. (laughs) but don't take my word for it just listen to what the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema has to say about our show
1: it's a husband and wife show and they discuss movies and stuff
4: yeah a very wife husband show high praise indeed so come find us at marriedwithclickers.libsen.com. it will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour
3: and we're back. Final segment of this episode. No longer Mystery Box. This is now Scream About It Till Everyone Hears About It program. I don't know. <laughs> short form. It's not really quite short form, but it's shorter form than most of these programs are supposed to be about per album. So we hope you're digging it. I'm very honored to be uh, chatting with the co-host of one of my very favorite podcasts, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Mr. Will Smith. I'm going to have to find a, some way to get hold of, of Sammy one day. You know, I, I, I mean, I know he's a musician. Does he like talking about music?
4: He does. He wears a lot of different hats musically. He's played in bands. He certainly has far more knowledge than I do in terms of the nuts and bolts of music and technique and things like that. He certainly loves soul and stuff like that. I'm more, much more of a soul aficionado than he is, but rock and a lot of that stuff, I mean, he really knows his stuff too. And
3: it, it, that'd be cool to hear uh, him do an episode with you. I'd, I'd love it. I'd love it here. It's been five years and only your second time here, that's, that's one big bowl of wrong and No Sammy. No, that's that's an even bigger bowl of wrong, so we'll fix that up. All right, so we're gonna now go to your final album, Will? this was wow. That's my one word review. Wow. <laughs>
4: I'm
3: introduce. really happy to hear that. Please introduce. I would,
4: yeah, I'd love to. Um, a couple of years ago, and not to take credit away from the artist, certainly, but a couple of years ago, a really great young soul singer started to hit a big. And I believe it might have been my pal, the lightning bug, Zach, who. I maybe recommended him initially to me maybe or John Ross there's a few people that like Nathan and Bjorn are a couple people that you know dig on soul as well that maybe tagged me in a post Or maybe I'd heard about him right around the same time, but anyway, this guy came out, Leon Bridges, and everyone was going bananas for Leon Bridges. And I thought, wow, this singer's great. He reminded me of a Sam Cooke in terms of his clean kind of innocence in the way he sang. He was very much cultivating an early 60s sound and look. Lisa Sawyer, his song, just blew me away. Really great artist, but at the same time, for whatever reason, this is the way I've always categorized them or sorted them out in my head. Leon Bridges was like Sam Cooke to me in some regard. And then I discovered this other guy at the same time. Why not? How come Nolan's talking about Curtis Harding the same way they are Leon Bridges? Cast Curtis Harding was a little bit more Sly Stone, A little bit more Otis Redding, kind of a little bit wilder, a little bit more variation in terms of his arrangement and production. Felt a little more raw. And so any chance I've had, I've said to people, hey, check out Curtis Harding. You know, if you think soul music's dead, just check him out. And when you said that, this was also one of the, this was the second one that really sprang to mind after talking about Jackie Shane, because I felt like people lament. They just, they think that, uh, what is it? What's the saying? Um, The death of soul music has been greatly exaggerated essentially (laughs) and yeah and so i thought you know what let me see my pal morris thinks about curtis harding so without further
3: ado i'd love to hear that like your other albums i came to this not even having heard of him never mind having heard of him but not heard the music first thing i have to say is it's the most ggtmc front cover for an album in the history of music (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, yeah, there, there he is. You know, he's got his top off, smoking a cigarette. That is so GGTMC. And if any of you listeners out there listen to the uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and why not if you are not, but if you are listeners, you'll know exactly why I say that. This album, it's an unusual one in the realm, I guess, of the modern retro soul album. I guess like a lot of us over the last few years have been really excited about the artists on the Daptone label. So, you know, the unfortunately recently departed Sharon Jones and the Budos Band. And I think you already mentioned Charles Bradley before. And those albums, those artists sort of showed that old school soul. It didn't have to be pastiche. It could still be tight and exciting and fresh. It really gave soul and R&B back the name that it deserved. Really going back to that old school sort of thing. Labels like Daptone, I found very, very exciting. Curtis Harding is not like that. In fact, I sort of think that the name of the album, Soul Power, might sort of give—I don't know—I wouldn't necessarily say an incorrect impression as to what you're going to get, but maybe there's he's forcing you to sort of think well soul power is not necessarily in that sort of tight stacks atlantic or even daptone type of groove it can be different things now A few years ago, I first heard a band, which I know Eric reanimated champions very much, called the Bell Rays. They take a soul singer, Lisa Kukula, I think her name is. She's like an old school soul singer. Just, you know, really think Aretha, think that style of soul. But she's singing over a hardcore rock band, like a, a garage, really loud, thrashy garage rock band. There's still a touch of the old school soul in it, but it's really more soul voice, over loud thrashy rock and it's fantastic and then there was a band from about two three years ago which tim put me onto and i think i might have recommended to you called vintage trouble and yes another band that had a real rock edge rather than being sort of that old school soul with the horn section and tight funky guitar and all that sort of thing they they're going back to old style bluesy rock but with a great great soul singer now, why I bring them up, this album by Curtis Harding, Soul Power, it's not full on rock like those albums are, but he is doing something different. And there's certainly this song, like, I Don't Want to Go Home. pop number and the song Surf is like a you know garage rock. doing different things one track that I think I imagine you'd be a big fan of on the album called The Drive because it sounds like it belongs to me anyway in a 1970s crime film it's menacing
10: take it
3: just yeah there's, there's just something really interesting going on there and of course there are songs on this that do revert to old-school soul and that's you know not a bad thing or a good thing it's just what the album is and you got songs like keep on shining on the other side which is, is sort of like a bit of that disco style I sort of mentioned before when we were talking about that but you know, there's a whole lot more going on here than just old school soul the soul comes from his voice the soul comes from his attitude a lot of these songs are quite dark in their lyric and in their tone it's not necessarily a celebration of love or a celebration of the human spirit it's looking well, life is dark and he's mentioning some of that I really really dig this I think on the song Drive My Car
10: Well, all right, you ready to go There's a place not too far away And a house where we can stay The ocean is our view If you're down, I want you to come too on the road you I, in my car I want you where we go it don't I just want you to drive my
3: car. Which sounds like a 60s garage song uh, Lenny Kravitz I, I love those first Lenny Kravitz albums I know, don't know how cool or fashionable it is to say that I don't give a fuck. I love let love, love rule. I think that's a fantastic album. He's a really, really super talented guy. And there's something of that in that song and maybe something in terms of what he's trying to achieve here, you know, I'd see it's a they're a good likeness for each other. Um, but yeah, look, anyway, I, I love the diversity of this album. I love the fact that there's something of a minimalist production style it's owing something I think in a way to something of the low fidelity that we got on some recordings of them of the 1990s I'm thinking uh, Elliot Smith musically it doesn't really have anything in common with Elliot Smith at least not to my ears but there's something of that uh, reserved lo-fi production style that I'd compare it to. And he's a great songwriter, if I haven't sort of mentioned that. I would
4: agree with that. And I think the diversity is one of the things that appealed to me so much. When I referenced earlier sort of left field soul, and we've always had that, like I said, with Sly and George Clinton and all these artists um, that have been willing to bring rock into it and just to throw a bunch of stuff in the pot. It's it's exciting. And you hear someone who has so much so many different influences and they bring them to the table, Uh, like Curtis Harding does. It is very cool. Much like Thundercat, who is even much more sort of left-field soul. Very cool artist, though. Great voice. Really cool. Uh, uh, Flying Lotus produces a lot of his stuff, but I'm a big fan of Thundercat as well. Anyway, but Mr. Harding, yeah, I think you've covered a lot of the bases when it comes to him. It almost has, yeah, like a... I I was surprised to hear, not so much that I think he was... He's lived in Atlanta and he's lived in Michigan, so I'm going to say Detroit for a lot of the more raw industrial kind of stuff oh, <laughs> that you okay. feel yeah. in his music. Um, but that, 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 would a, ex- gar- that would explain that. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, it really would, right? When you talk about much like the Antonioni theory of where you are influences uh, sort of the aesthetic or the, the your art, uh, your surroundings, the sort of garagey stuff, like the rock stuff, I thought maybe, maybe he's like a Bay Area artist where things are all kind of cobbled together. Um, but no, yeah, it was Atlanta and, and the Detroit area. But this is, a, this is a great album, and I hope more people check him out. I know some people said it feels a little bit overly reverential. I have to disagree with that.
3: I don't see it being overly reverential at all. There are some artists where you listen listening to think, all right, within three seconds of that, right, this guy's paying tribute to this. He's, not, yes. he's, he's respectful without being reverential.
4: Correct. And I would agree with that. I think it's a tightrope block, but he walks it quite well. I think we've all heard, you know, as lovers of soul music, I've heard so many kind of on the nose. I just almost have to roll my eyes. Like, I know their hearts are in the right place, but okay, I get it. You know, you like this artist, this artist, so painfully obvious. Let's see, let's hear something new versus you playing dress up, musical dress up. And the difference between a good, great artist and an average artist is their ability to not just engage in mimicry and playing musical dress up, but to to homage and have their own sound. And, And Harding does that. So I'm very pleased to hear that you like this album as much as you do.
3: I remember that we had this discussion once about Eli Paperboy Reed. And I think that was your criticism of him, if I recall correctly, that he's he yes. was an artist who was just too much trying to live in the shoes oh, of uh, those who came before him rather than do something original.
4: That was the vibe I caught at the time, rightly or wrongly. There's been times where they talk about Blue Eyed Soul. You know, I maybe judge Blue Eyed Soul, quote unquote, uh, white soul singers a little bit more harsh but I gotta give credit where it's due people like Jamie Liddell and Mayor Hawthorne who I'm a big fan of some of his stuff's a bit surface but I've gone and listened to soul albums that I wasn't aware of when I listened to his stuff and can hear where he's got some of his cues from but and when it's right on the nose I just I can't help but sometimes roll my eyes but you know who am I to say if someone's influences all seem very surface it still comes from a passionate place so mm. but I think I, I want to say this Eric Reanimator I'd love for you to check out this album and hear what you think because I think there's some stuff in there he would dig
3: I wholeheartedly agree with that Eric you've got two recommends from us so uh, check out Curtis Harding Soul Power and in fact not just Eric any one of you out there listen Anyone. please Everyone. check this out this album's from 2014 very very recent I guess final thing I wanted to make note about like a particular song and that's this album opener is a song called Next- Time.
10: Could have went Would you win you play? Now.
3: I think it's the one song for me on the album that has a foot in both camps. It starts off sounding like it's just going to be some indie pop number, and then the Hammond organ kicks in, and he's saying, okay, there are some soul, traditional soul credentials, and then the rest of the album is either this style or that style, and it, it's neither here nor there, you know, because... It's, it's a great melting pot and that's what he's showing that he listens to all types of music but I just like the fact that it starts off sounding like it's going to be one thing and then he says look I'm going to take you somewhere else with it so great album opener great album in general a high recommend as we like to do on this program you know life's too short to be talking about albums that you think suck uh, negative Nickies all the time yeah don't like that no not my favorite so we're up to the final album of the program this is an album that I only just recently discovered myself much to my shame uh, the artist concerned is uh, someone who's been around for a while her name is Emma Donovan she's working as Emma Donovan and the putbacks and the name of the album is called dawn <laughs> I only discovered this album because uh, my good friend Pat, who runs the uh, wonderful CD store here in Melbourne, called Rocksteady Records, and he's a big champion. Uh, local music, a big champion of reggae and a big champion of soul. He had this album in there and I asked him about it, he recommended it, so right, I'll, I'll take a chance on this. I hadn't even listened to any of it. I didn't know much about her so I've done a little bit of searching on the Wikipedia so you'll forgive me if I read out some of the notes that I've made down about it. So Emma had been around as a professional singer since the early 2000s but you know, as I said, as per usual, I'm picking up on her fairly late. So she's originally from the northern coastal area of New South Wales. She started out in a long established country band, a family band called the Donovans, funnily enough, which was founded by her grandparents and featured her mother and uncles. Apparently the group is still a going concern but it's just her father and her uncles, I think. She was also in an acoustic trio called the Stiff Gins, which I do remember hearing about. Never saw them, but I do remember hearing about them. She was also a member of a band called the Black Arm Band, and they basically performed in a lot of the urban festivals and rural communities dedicated to the preservation of Aboriginal languages. They sort of made a name for themselves not just in this country but apparently you know, with a lot of touring artists so they perform with uh, artists like Michelle N- Nidicello, I never know if I pronounced that correctly. They perform with Mavis Staples, Ricky Lee Jones and as guest artists with the Black Arm Band they've had the likes of local songwriter Shane Howard who if you're my age and you've grown up living in Australia you're a big fan of his. He was uh, the uh, originator of the Goanna Band, Lou Bennett and Sully Dasty, both of a great trio called Titters, who are around in the 90s and also worked with uh, the late great Ruby Hunter and also Dan Sultan uh, had all been members in its ranks and if you're an Australian listener those names will hopefully mean something to you Uh, I apologize to the overseas listeners who may not know them but uh, make note of those names you should check them out so as to the album itself I want to know what you thought
4: ah nice absolutely so yeah this was the local flavor from you much like I brought some local flavor with Jackie so uh, this was cool Uh, it's always interesting to hear music through the vocal cords of someone outside of what we have come to know, or what were originally the sort of the confines of America. It's the struggle and heartache, and all these things are certainly universal as you said doing very slight research uh, because of time constraints uh, Emma yeah, being an indigenous singer uh, certainly I'm sure has had her share of as we hear on the album as well uh, her share of unfortunate circumstances and heartache and one of the things that I took away from the album initially was much like with Harding I think that We see an artist and a band that are not interested in being slavish to the sound of soul music that fits inside a sort of clearly defined box. Mm. There's more of a rock sound with some stuff. I'll tell you this, they love the Hammond organ.
3: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) There's a whole lot of Hammond on this. I got to say, Will, that quite often, even if the song is shit, if they got a Hammond organ, I'm sold. (laughs) Nice.
4: Nice. Nice, but the song opens, I think, with Black Woman.
2: Shut your mouth, keep on giving till you just can't be. Getting weaker by the night, can't find a reason, no reason to leave.
4: It's not even It's got uh, the bass kicks in and they got the ham in and her vocals are great because I think they're tender and breathy but they're also strong and I think she's a talent and she sounds to me like and she conveys this to her music a survivor you know, she's been, mm-hmm. she's been kicked down but she keeps getting back up and she may be bruised but she's going to stand tall and I really love that that vulnerable sort of survivor quality that I think she brings to the music that emotional honesty and there certainly is a melancholy tone uh, to the way she sings at certain points in it but I really like that because it's sometimes with some artists I think they're just going through the motions and I don't really you don't really feel that with I Emma mean, you feel a certain sincerity to what oh. she's oh, with it,
3: everything she sings you believe and it, it's, yes. it's interesting, Dave, because, like, as I said, she started out in her family's country band and, you know, country music. But I think what really comes out in a lot of good country music, and you know, country music, like any style, will have its great practitioners and its bad ones, but I, I think at the heart of great country music is a sort of honesty, yes. and she's bringing that to uh, her soul incarnation, as it were. Oh,
4: for sure. I think late 60s rock is really – I don't know how much – Emma had this influence, or if the putbacks had this influence, but Jimi Hendrix, like, I feel the black woman feels a little bit voodoo child. My goodness feels a little bit when cries Mary.
2: I got my,
4: a little bit, they're certainly, I think, indebted to uh, 60s rock uh, as much as anything else. But it's funny because the album does jump around a little bit in terms of some of the arrangements. Daddy starts off kind of funky, almost like Latin, boogaloo uh, kind of sound.
2: for me Daddy Ain't a plain to see The sun's come out Out from the clouds.
4: Some reverb and organ, and kind of this acidy sound kicks in. And there's a right. great guitar solo in there, and it's nice to see. And then, even further on, if Keep Me in Your Reach it feels kind of staple Sink it's Dusty Springfield to me.
2: I'm in no place to judge you, girl. When you come through my door, you get a friend, a friend with an open heart. Get a friend, a friend you can call. Don't forget when you're down and in darkness. I can pick you up in the heart. Said I'll be there for you And I'll be the one to help you through Feel shame I can see it in your face I've been there and I know that place So pick up your lip, take a lifter Keep your head up
3: That is such a good call. When you mentioned that it makes so complete sense, I hadn't sort of actually thought about that. It's just, I love the beautiful sentiment. You know, the, once again, the Hammond is providing the bedrock for that song. You get this beautiful, very simple, but completely in the pocket, mid tempo groove going on it. And just, you know, a a gorgeous song about friendship and support. You know, we were talking before about songs about lust and, sex and all that and this is though this is a different bag this is a song yes well, this is a, an album about support friendship the importance of family hard times her role in in modern australia this is different but it's still completely soulful and completely believable
4: and i think that's one of the
3: great things about the genre or any genre of
4: music is people's experience across the spectrum how it conveys life and all the life encompasses. And this is another slice of life from much like film. One of the great things I love is, that, and I've said to you off the is I won't get to travel the world as much as I want. But if I watch film from around the world or I listen to music from around the world, I can see how universal the human experience is, but how different it can be. And it can illuminate, and I think, and enlighten us uh, and make us better people. I think Absolutely. ultimately that's that's one of my great takeaways from the art that I consume is I think it gives me an appreciation for humanity and the struggle that different people go through and makes me a kinder better person and I think an album like this I think at times there's moments where some of the the arrangements can seem a little
3: bit on the nose but which one did you think didn't quite work as much for you Mother maybe maybe okay.
2: darling I've been waiting Then what it takes to be a good woman
4: Right. And I wouldn't say that, much like we talked about James Brown, or any artist, Eddie Durando, I love ice cream. Yes. I don't want an ice cream buffet. And I think the one downfall this album has is the length of the songs. Each song is about five, six minutes. They are so lengthy I, songs, yes. I think the fatigue can set in a little bit. But if I was to hear Mother on its own, no problem. But it's mm-hmm. after I've had a bowl of pistachio ice cream, a bowl of Evone hash, <laughs> You know, then I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna slow down on the black cherry for a bit because I'm not feeling it. So I think it's only because of what bookends it as far as. Or in, in the context of the whole album, maybe. But that I don't want to discredit the album because I think that there's
3: a lot of good going on there. There's a very healthy soul scene in Melbourne in particular. I can't speak about the rest of the country, but certainly we've been getting some great artists. I mean, I mentioned before Deep Street Soul and a couple of the other really big artists in the soul scene here. In Melbourne, there's uh, the Bamboos and uh, singer Kylie Aldus, who seems to actually be working with a bunch of other artists. But she's the lead singer for the Bamboos. But she's doing a lot of stuff in her own right. There's a great band called Cooking on Three Burners, which actually started out like as a Hammond organ jazz trio, but for whatever reason, they switched to being a, a sort of a funk and soul band with a bunch of guest artists singing on each song. Just having someone like Emma Donovan, she comes in as a, uh, a- another. Great addition to a, a great soul scene. Soul music is widely loved here. And I'm just so thrilled that, you know, in my own backyard, there are these great bands. And there's probably, there's a ton I haven't even sort of thought of or mentioned, and probably another ton I don't even know of. Anyway, so let's just come back to this. Just final word. yet yeah, both of us uh, seem to uh, recommend Emma Donovan and the Putbacks Dawn album, 2014 release. I only discovered it just you know, a few months ago. It is out there. If you live locally and you hear of Emma, doing doing some uh, live work check her out I know I certainly will be a yeah, really confident singer someone worth following I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what she does next so we've come to the end of episode 98 of Love That Album how the hell did that happen? how the hell did it finish? we should be talking for the next five hours but we could easily get to bed and you've got to start your day Uh, so i just want to say thank you so much i know that normally sunday morning is your time for talking with sammy and with todd on uh, the gentleman's guide so i thank them both for freeing you up to talk with me so what is happening in the world of ggtmc i know that you know the last year you've not got together as much as you would have liked it's been real life has gotten in the way but let's forget about the last few months let's talk about what's happening over the next few months what's what's happening in the world of the gents
4: well, our next episode that should be, we recorded it last week, but uh, I know Sammy's just been the finishing touches on editing and publishing uh, a top thirty time watches episode. Uh, nice. We'll be out with Anord, one of the writers on our show, fellow gent. Great guy, loves film, great taste. He and Todd and I... <laughs> Talked about our top 30 first time watches, which is always, some people like that show more than our top 30 films of the year because there's more diversity and they're covering 100 years of film. So that's going to be out. We're going to have, hopefully, we've been trying to get an interview and a review of a film through one of our dear friends, Jason, up and out the door here pretty soon. Again, scheduling has been difficult. We are committed to working towards getting back to clockwork scheduling because it serves everyone well and it's just it's been tough. There's always things coming at us, but uh, such is life. You know, We'll keep on uh, keeping on, and, and there's always the Facebook group, of course, which is as active as ever. So Fantastic. Yeah.
3: In the unlikely event that someone listening hasn't heard you before, how can they find you?
4: They can find The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema at ggtmc.com. You can check us out on Facebook, uh, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Of course, we spell Midnight M I D. N-I-T-E. We talk about all manner of film, primarily drive-in. I mean, it, it really, when we say midnight cinema, we use that as a, as a wide enough net that we can cover everything from Ruggiero Diodato to Federico Fellini. Yes. Uh, Todd Chabrol to Laos Carax. I mean, everything in between, whether it's trash, whether it's class, Criterion, Vinegar Syndrome. We love film
3: and... I think it shows it's evident we've been doing it for over eight years, so we got a great community. It's the best community. I'm not just saying this to piss in your pocket, but it really is the best community online. I've had problems with other forums where, you know, there were questions of, you like that film? Hand in your film lover's card. You don't know the first damn thing about it. And in the GGTMC community, there's, you haven't seen that film? I highly recommend it. There's never any ridicule. It's always, passion there's always people encouraging other people how you like inclusiveness completely and frankly with a community that's as big as yours is I don't know how, how you do it, but it's a model for not only how the online community should work, but really how the world should work. So well done to you guys. You've gone and created something incredibly special. Yeah, I, I recommend a podcast, even if you haven't got the time necessarily to listen to the podcast, but you want to go online somewhere just to talk film with other film fans, then uh, just look up The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema Facebook group. A lot of really, really wonderful people. Who uh, love their cinema no one's judgmental and they don't care can be as well as gone and indicated drive-in movies mainstream movies obscure art house things everything in between it's just if you genuinely love film and you want to talk about it that's the home for it my favorite place to go talk cinema.
4: you are too kind it's it's an honor to count you among my friends collaborators Peers, uh, and I do just want to give credit where it's due. You talked about how we're able to cultivate and, and sort of continue with the climate we have in the group. And it's because of the great people that we have as friends that help to keep the tone, you know, the the handsome police force, uh, as we call them. Uh, they keep things running like a well-oiled machine, like a baby-oiled machine. Yeah, so give, i got to give credit where it's due. And I want to say to you, thank you so much for asking me. It truly, I mean this, it truly... Uh, is an honor to be on the show because i consider you a dear friend and and a and someone who has so much knowledge uh, about music and passion for music and film and To be able to to chew the fat with you for these past few hours. I'm not going to be
3: able to walk through the door now, Will. You can't do that. (laughs) Go sideways. (laughs) So, as I said, let's not leave it two years to the next one. So, uh, just a quick bit of housekeeping here. You're listening to the show so you obviously know how to get it, whatever your chosen way is, but I'm going to still say it anyway. You want to download the show, you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. You can get it through iTunes. Just look for Love that album uh, you can join the facebook group and discuss music uh, just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album and i highly recommend that you do because uh you know we're, we're a small group but we love to discuss music i'd love to get some suggestions from you think you've never covered this album let's talk about that one and we all as long as we're all gentlemanly and nice well-behaved and all that sort of stuff. It's all good. And as long as I'm still here, may I also put in a quick word, because it is my podcast, I can do this. I have another podcast called See Here. That's S-E-E-H-E-A-R. And I'm joined every month by my wonderful friends, Bernard Stickwell in Bath in England, and my compadre who's just been visiting me in Melbourne. It's it's absolutely magnificent. Originally from your end of the world, uh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Tim Merrill, now living in Seoul in South Korea for the last 15 years. And Bernie and Tim and myself, we pick a different music-related film every month. And not necessarily musicals, although they're not excluded, but generally the story has to have something to do with music. And I think we've had a couple of picks along the way where the line about it being music-related story is a bit thin. And I can tell you my next choice is very on the line but I've got Bernie's permission to pick it so um, <laughs> uh, as, as we get to it we're going to do it if, uh, you'd like to uh, listen to us talk about films that have musically related themes we'd love to have you on board see here s-w-h-e-a-r dot podbean dot com yes it is a shameless plug but this is my program I can do what I want I, I want to recommend my other program then I'm going to do it anyway that's enough that's it it is now 12.30 on Monday morning I've got to get some sleep so I can wake up and look uh, beautiful for work so uh, once again thank you so much Well, it's been truly my pleasure having you on I look forward to our next conversation indeed and as do I please spread the word that the show exists I'd be grateful for that and until next month which will be episode 99 I forgot to say at the beginning of the show that this episode was due out in January but you know time doesn't always allow for that so we delayed by month that's okay so the 100th episode will be out in April of 2017 please bring some new people along you know, the 100th episode it's a little bit special if you want to send me some correspondence to say what you think i've done right or wrong over the last 100 episodes or so then go for it i'd I'd love to hear from you big shout out big thanks to all the people who've joined me along the way it takes a village to look after children as they say and it takes a community to run a podcast so uh, I'm grateful for anyone anyway look more of that when we get to episode 100 next month will be episode 99 and I have an idea what I want to cover but I'm trying to pay off my collaborator who's not sort of committed to joining me next month so I'll put it on the books of faces as to what we cover in due course but that'll be uh, be sometime in late March meanwhile be nice to each other don't have any political arguments just because I'm sick of it and I don't want to read about it be nice to each other Listen. Wonderful music, watch wonderful films, and there's only one thing left to say in best GGTMC fashion. Adios. Adios.